Welcome to the Desert Street Podcast, the podcast helping you develop forex trading skills for more freedom. I'm your host, Etienne Kret. Let's get started right away. What's up, everyone? Welcome back and welcome back to Matt. It's been a while we didn't talk and you've been doing some awesome work the past year. I kind of wanted to bring you back here and you suggested to come back here. Talk about a topic that I think people don't really know much about and that's about kind of how to develop a automated system for yourself, but like from scratch, like everything, you have to build everything yourself. So for people listening to you right now, you've been here last year on the podcast, talking about your business you were building with algos and systems. Tell people kind of how, how that evolved and what changed in the past year. So we had, a, we had hired a third party development group in New England to build a system for us. And we ended up deciding to take it over and kind of bring it in house. And so we've custom built out this infrastructure that allows us to run multiple strategies, multiple timeframes, both swing trade uh, and day trade for stocks, options, and uh, indexes, ETFs. And uh, we've been working on building out some strategies and our back test system, all kinds of moving parts and, and pieces. That's kind of a high level where we are from a year ago till now. Awesome. So you went to kind of putting more work by yourself and developing this by yourself. And like we said before, there's like no guideline to like what you need to do to kind of create a system from scratch. I think it's very difficult to kind of copy what's already out there. Yeah, so there, there's no real guidelines on how to build your own automated trading system. Uh, we kind of struggled through it and figured out some things. As most people know, there, there are some obvious things like like when you're back testing something, there's there's some things that may or may not be super obvious, uh, and then when you move to a real live system, there's obviously some discrepancies between when a back test would have uh, the outcome of a certain back test versus the same, um, you know, it, using the same strategy using real capital. They, there might be some discrepancies, and so there's there's a lot of things that we learned along the way over the past uh, six months, a year that have uh, kind of helped us guide us in the, in the right directions. Mm -hmm. So bring us back, let's say to a year or, or maybe like more, maybe a year and a half where and you had to decide like kind of how to serve your system, like what to think about overall, I guess the first thing is going to be think about kind of like the infrastructure and like the API and things like that. So, and then you can kind of guide us through the steps of what you had to do and what you had to work on. But what is the first point of starting out to develop a system? What does that start? So I think the first thing is you start kind of on with pencil and paper. You have to determine what are the things you want to do with a trading system. Do you want the trading system to take place a trade and let it manage the trade over a certain period of time? So usually, at least for us, we ended up writing out maybe 30 pages of documentation on how we wanted this to work, what the moving pieces were, how the pieces fit together. So things like, at least for us, we run multiple strategies. Right, so if you think about it with uh, something like MetaTrader 4, you have an EA, right? But imagine running several EAs together and them communicating among each other, right? Uh, as far as capital allocations and how, many, how much you're willing to lose in a day or a week or whatever time frame. Uh, and so we built a pretty interesting system that manages multiple strategies. We have a trade manager once the uh, order or a strategy is kicked out of setup where you have a specific buy and sell point with number of shares. It manages that over the life of the trade. We have a, obviously we have a broker API that we connect to to 
to pull down our buying power, place orders, check on orders, add orders, cancel orders. And we also use parts of the broker API to pull down real-time data to make decisions for like our shorter time frame, like our day trading strategies. We need absolute real-time pricing on making decisions on when and, when and where to buy, when and where to exit. And then there's also the back test. So there's four different pieces that we built into this uh, that make it all kind of fit together. Mm-hmm. Now, when you say we, who is that exactly? Because people might, might think that it's only you kind of creating everything and finding out everything and something in every part of the project. So did you have a team of people surrounding you and did you kind of chat with them frequently to see what you had to work on and what you had to do and kind of what the objective were of that project? So there's some people that I work with in kind of building out strategies. So one of our mutual friends, Jeremy Newsom, yeah. we actually spent quite a bit of time talking about how he trades specifically. He likes to day trade gaps, right? So gap things, stocks that are gapping up, stocks that are gapping down. And we had lots of conversations. So he and I collaborated on like the specifics of the strategy, uh, that specific strategy, how it worked. You know, does a, a stock gap up too much that you want to short it, right? Or does it gap down, down way too far that you want to buy it and kind of go the opposite direction of the gap? Consider that a fade, right? You're trading it in the opposite direction of the gap. Uh, but there's sometimes where gaps go 3 4% up or down and you want to kind of follow the direction so so for in that case we there's jeremy and i and we spent some time collaborating on that but the underlying system myself and one other person have contributed to building the actual framework that the system runs on mm-hmm. but i think it's really important to kind of take advice from other people around you because like you can have all the answers but sometimes you don't and that's why you want to kind of collaborate with people to kind of get to the answer faster right Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So once you've kind of figured out the basics uh, and you've planned out what you, what you want your system to do, what comes next? So the next piece is you want things like adding a new strategy, building out a new strategy, whether it's a short time frame where like most of our intraday strategies trade a five minute chart, right? So you want, you want to be able to add strategies quickly and not have to spend tons and tons of hours building all this. So what we did is we decided we use kind of like a traditional software development approach where we build a strategy and the strategy automatically inherits certain behaviors that are built into some of the code in the software that we've been, you, you would say that the strategy can extend and inherit an additional behavior. And so one of the things that you want to do is you want to make sure the strategies take a short period of time. So for example, we have some strategies that are live now that took less than 10 hours to build. We have some other ones that have have taken hundreds of hours. It depends on how complex it is, um, what it's looking for, how much processing is is required to make its decisions. At least for us, the way the strategies work are we have two different kinds of strategies. We have intra trading hours, 30 to 4 p.m. Eastern. So those run continuously and those are pretty data intensive. And then we have some strategies that uh, run once a day at the end of the day and build setups for the next day. You, can, you would consider those to be swing trades, uh, a swing trading algorithm or swing trading strategy. But there's all different, so many variables that go into a custom system. But the way that it was built was the strategy basically creates the quantity of shares 
uh, how much risk is the fine that you're, you're willing to take on a trade, the entry and the stop. Uh, and we use target one and target two also uh, that the trade manager uses to, to manage the trade. As, as the trade moves in your favor, it does move a stop up from your original stop to maybe break even at a certain point, and then it exits a target two. But all of those variables have to be crafted. So if you think about something like any trading system, you can build a watch list, right? And the watch list is just a ticker. It's just a, a symbol. Um, in Forex, obviously, you're using certain pairs. So you have to translate a watch list to a specific quantity of shares or contracts if you're using futures or options. You have to translate that to know where am I buying, where am I exiting if it moves against me, how much risk am I willing to take, how many, like in our, in our case, we use a strategy that has settings. So the settings are how many, how many positions do I want at one time that are open? What is the capital I'm allocating to strategy X, right? you know, which, whichever specific strategy? So there's lots of moving parts, but that's kind of some of the high levels. And how do you get to find this? Was it through doing some tests on the drawdowns you want to have and the maximum kind of loss you allow yourself or other factors? So it's a mix of things. Um, things like the maximum, let's say that we want to risk, we want to lose no more than $1,000 on a trade, but we want to have seven trades open at once. Well, that means we have $7,000 open risk at any one point, right? That's the worst case scenario. So the short answer is it, it's, each strategy has a specific set of settings that we can control and we can control and test those settings independent of the strategy itself if we're running a back test. So some of those are tweaked and some of those we've changed over time, but it's a mix of outcome of the tests that we've run as well as how much risk we're just willing to take and have open at any one period. Mm -hmm. Do you find that these things are kind of easy to identify or they are things that kind of you have to go trial and error? It's like you try them out. For example, like, like the pairs you choose, do you kind of set them in the stone first and you are pretty much sure that they will work or you kind of have to try and, and go back and, and try again and go back again? So it, it really depends on the strategy itself. Like some of our swing trade strategy, if you're familiar with swing trading, I'm sure your yeah. audience as well. There's certain things that we, the strategy itself looks for. And so if you think about a strategy and the data, like if you look at a daily chart for Forex or daily chart any stock, um, let's use Shopify as an example. There's certain things that you can, as you look over the, the different bars of data, our algorithms aren't actually looking at the chart, they're looking at the, the data behind that builds the chart, so to speak, the open, high, low, close, and volume. And... There's certain strategies we've learned just over time not to necessarily approach. So, for example, most of none of our strategies take a breakout, surprisingly or not. So what we do like to do is we like to do like we have a, a pretty decent strategy that is modeled after a very well-known stock trader. And it looks for a stock that's in a certain uptrend. It's, it's our main primary trend following strategy. So it's looking for stocks that are in an uptrend and uptrend is basically the stock is above a 50 and 200 day moving average and the price is above that and it's been above that the previous five months so if you look back and you take today's date and you go backwards four weeks you want to make sure that the stock is still in uptrend still above that those moving averages and then we want to wait for it's all mathematically based right so we want to wait for 
um, it to be somewhere between 75% and 90% of the all time, the most recent high, right? So we don't take the breakout. We want to wait for it to sell off a little bit and play a dip and uh, kind of go higher. So uh, all the strategies are different and they all take different things into account. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the difference between the two that you classify between day trading and swing trading. Is there one better than the other, one that has some advantages over the other, or they're pretty much two different things that you don't mind going one or the other way? Uh, so they're both, we have both kinds running live now. Uh, they certainly have more advantages and disadvantages. So for example, some of our swing trades may only fire five or 10 signals in a month, right? Uh, some of our day trades may fire 100 in a day. So if you think about things like transaction costs, one's going to definitely absolutely you know, you're gonna spend more on transaction costs. Luckily for us, we get a nice number of free trades because of the capital we have on uh, under management. Uh, we get some free trades with our current broker. We use TD Ameritrade. So there's advantages and disadvantages either way. The way I try to think about it with, you know, before I even did automation, just manually trading by hand, the way I think about it is a day trade is how quickly do you want to be right or wrong? And a day trade, at least for me, I might be right or wrong within 20, 30 minutes, right? A swing trade could be weeks before you know if you're right or wrong. You give it a certain amount of entry stop and you, that'd be $5 a part. It might be $20. Depends on what the stock is and how much your, how much wiggle room your, your strategy has identified. Uh, but that, the day trades definitely use a lot more bandwidth. Our connections to our broker, TD Ameritrade, they limit our, the number of times we can hit the API to two times a second. Now, that may sound like not a big deal, but that, that, that has to use all, all of your intraday strategies have to be under two times a second. You know, we're checking the real-time price on all the open trades to see how they need to be managed, if the stop needs to be moved up, if a, a trade needs to be closed, exit for a loss, exit for a profit. So all that does certainly limit what we're doing, but it's, uh, it's been fun. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And do you have an ideal target of like how many strategies you want to have at one time, or is it based on kind of the equity curve of all the strategies combined that you kind of will look for the perfect differentiation? Uh, like yes, right. So... At least for us, there's not a, a number of strategies we want. We want to have as many as profitably possible. So one of the things that you learn when you run like a back test, for example, like if I was to talk to you and spend a few hours with you trying to understand your strategy, what would happen is if we, let's say we ran a three-year test and you take four trades a day over a period of three years, um, what, what you notice is when a strategy has an edge, has a real edge, you want to exploit it as much as possible. You want as much capital behind that as possible. So the short answer is there's not really a maximum number of strategies we want to have. We want to have as many as possible that are working, that we have capital to deploy. Obviously, we don't want strategies where we, we have all of our money tied up. So. Awesome. So once we define kind of your rules and your background for your strategy, I guess the next step is going to be the data, right? Like you want to make sure the data, the data is right. So is that right or is there something else before that you need to check? Or that's pretty much the next step? So if you're risking real dollars based on trades that you make, triggering a brand new position, uh, you absolutely have to make sure the data is right. So things like the data integrity is important. So things like missing data, duplicate data, all of these things can really affect the strategy because the strategy is looking at that data to make buying and selling decisions. 
So we have tools in place that alert us if last night's, you know, last night didn't download. And we can manually download it. We can look to try to get that before the market opens if that's necessary. Things like one of the first things we ran into that there's no playbook on how to build custom from scratch systems is how do you know when you're missing market data, right? How do you know that? So one of the first things we identified was you really have to have a database of what are the market holidays, right? So obviously for Forex, that's a different schedule than Wall Street. Wall Street is open Monday through Friday minus holidays. Well, which holidays do they observe? So we had to build a list of what are all the holidays on a year-by-year basis that we look, if we're missing data, is it because it was a holiday? Well, if it is, then fine. We're, we're, that's an expected kind of outcome. We're expecting you know, data not to be there for Christmas, for example. And so there's a lot of things that go into that to double check for missing data, make sure we have, so for example, Lyft, uh, L-Y-F-T, which is a competitor of Uber, it came out as an IPO what, two, three weeks ago. We traded, our systems have traded a little bit. And so we manually check, okay, is Lyft in our database? Now, obviously it wasn't before as an IPO, but on day one or two, it's now, you know, it's in our database. We have data. It's making decisions based on that data. So we do spot check some things from time to time just to ensure everything runs. But we do have a lot of automated tests that run that will kick out errors and tell us if there's, if it detects space of U.S. stocks have, let's say there's 8,300 stocks just on average. We can look, and it goes up and down a few every day, right? There's some stocks that get delisted. There's some new IPOs, so that the number's not the same every day. But we can look and determine whether or not, let's say that we got half the data that we're supposed to. So instead of 83, 8,400, we get half that. So those are the kind of things that we have to we look for and have automation in place that can notify us if there's a problem. And usually we have to manually uh, verify or double check or troubleshoot that problem. But we use automation to help us detect it. Mm-hmm. Is that something you built yourself or that kind of everyone has access to? Uh, so that's, that's, we built that ourselves. We run, um, we have, I don't even know how many hundreds of millions of rows of data for stocks and options. We download somewhere in a neighborhood of 900,000 pieces of data, rows of data, not pieces, but rows of data every day, mostly stock options, but about 83, 8,400 of, of that number is based on just the stock data. So we, we collect the, the high, the low, the open, the close, and then the uh, volume on every ticker in the U.S. markets um, every day. And if you were to lack data, would that affect your live trading or only kind of the back test and the strategies that you test? So yeah, it would affect the trading, the trade setups that it generates. So for example, say that our, our strategies run, uh, most of our daily strategies run, let's say at 6.30 in the morning, 7.30 in the morning, Eastern, 6.30 Central. And so what it does is it says, okay, today is April 23rd. Let's go back and look at all the data from April 22nd and run our scanner and our strategies over that to make sure that we have certain setups and it'll kick out certain setups. Um, and we have a function, uh, everything's tied to a setup, right? So we have a function that says, okay, explain the setup. And the setup will say, okay, we're going to enter here. The target one is here. The stop is here. Target two is here. And it'll explain just and just kind of spit out all the variables that were calculated. And it'll show that to us. Now, of course, back testing that, there'll be a gap in the data there. And we do have checks built into the back testing 
if it ever gets to a place where it's missing something, it, it kind of fires off a warning message. If it's missing data, obviously you, you don't know what happened. It could have been good, bad, ugly. Stock could have been delisted. Uh, we've had, it reminded me to tell you one thing that happened last month. I was just totally crazy random that, that I'll, I'll explain. Something the automation wouldn't have known to do. We had to manually handle it. But that's, that's kind of how it works is the, the end of day strategies that use the end of day data. If you're missing data, it will mess up the setups that you're building for the current day. So if we didn't have last night's data, April 22nd, then it'll mess up the setups that are built for April 23rd. Okay. And that's why you want to kind of create a routine of going back and checking data every day pretty much. Right. So when we log in to our systems in Amazon, there's a function called message of the day, MOTD. And when we log in, we basically create this little output of all the setups that we have, all the strategies that are live, how much capital is allocated, what the current positions are, it's kind of like a quick dashboard. And so it kind of creates this file. When we log in, that's the first thing we see. And one of those checks is what was the last day of data that we collected successfully? And it'll compare that to, okay, is today a, a market holiday or is it a weekend? And then it compares what was the last day. Is that, is that the correct last day? And it'll tell us, here's the command to run. If it's missing, and we'll manually kind of run it and verify to download the data. But we subscribe to third-party data providers that give us that data. Uh, we don't download it all, uh, try to capture it all manually. We, we have uh, several different groups that we use to uh, – we have subscription that we use to download the data at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I know you use Amazon as your server provider. Is that kind of beginner-friendly, or would you recommend a beginner to start with something different? We've been using it for a while. Uh, companies that I have run has used it successfully for several years. I don't know if I would say it's beginner friendly. It certainly has some beginner friendly features. <laughs> okay. But obviously building custom software in and of itself is not necessarily beginner friendly, but the AWS is, is got a pretty decent dashboard and some pretty nice tools to use. Okay. And there are probably some places we can kind of start to learn and, and kind of get familiar with the environment as well. Right, right. So here's one comparison is, uh, I know you've, you've used some EAs built into MetaTrader 4 or 5. Yeah. Uh, most of those run on your desktop, like your laptop or whatever system you're using, right? So that is kind of the server. The way we built it was our infrastructure lives at Amazon and it's always connected, always on. And so... Um, if our power in our office or my house anywhere goes out, it's still online, right? Now, if you are using MetaTrader 4 and for whatever reason the laptop battery died, it, for whatever reason it shut down, the trading would come to a halt, right? So we use it. That's kind of the purpose of AWS is it's, it's an always-on environment, and it's running kind of out in the cloud, making its decisions, downloading its data, doing you know what it's designed to do. So. Would using a external VPS be the same or different than AWS? Virtual private servers are similar. We use EC2 instances at AWS, so we can easily... I'm not that familiar with virtual private servers. I'm not sure if that's the same thing, but we use EC2 and RDS instances at AWS. So, for example, if... if we have a strategy that's taking too long to process. Let's say we're running a five-minute 
we're trading off a five minute chart and it's taking more than five minutes to make a decision about a five minute, a five minute candle. And in that case, obviously that's bad, right? <laughs> You're taking more than five minutes to make a decision. By the time you make the decision, the next five minute candle's already moved on and there's a new one, right? So in, in that case, we could easily um, shut down the server, bring it up with a bigger instance at AWS so we can go from a, an uh, X large to a two X large or whatever the size is for, um, for certain devices at Amazon. So that's one of the, the benefits is you can scale up and down like in an elastic uh, kind of manner. And I, I believe that's different than uh, virtual private servers. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, I definitely some benefit with that. So what's the next step after using all this? You've checked your data, you have this process kind of visual every day, your data. Uh, what else comes next? So uh, you have to build a decent trade manager. So the trade manager's unit, so for example, our systems fired long um, today on Lyft, L-Y-F-T. And so um, I can look at the exact setup, but just imagine that you're risking 50 cents per share to buy Lyft. And let's just, just for easy math, let's say it was trading at $40, right? So we're going to risk 50 cents, enter at $40, and a stop at 39.50. Those aren't the exact um, dollar amounts, but just for easy math, we're going to enter at 40 and a stop at 39.50, 50 cents of risk, right? So what we want is most of our systems use like a stop limit, which means we're going to enter an order only if the price moves in our direction first. And this is kind of counterintuitive to most brand new traders who will they'll buy stock, whatever the price is, and the idea of paying more than it currently is uh, is kind of counterintuitive, right? So if the stock price is currently at 39.75, why would you pay 40 if you, if you can pay 39.75 to enter? And so all of, our, all, all of our strategies use stop limit to enter, which means I'm willing to pay a higher price than it currently is, but I want it to move in my direction a little bit first. So that's kind of what the trade manager does is it will, it'll take, you can think about like a database of setups and the setup is the quantity, it's the price figure symbol for shares, the risk that you're using, it's a $500 risk, $2,500 risk, how much the market value, how much capital is deployed and it's tied to an account and a strategy. And then uh, the trade manager once, so if we go back to our example on Lyft, if we enter a trade at 40 and we're stopped as at 39.50, we really need to go to 40.50, right? That would be one R. So risking, let's say $500, we have a thousand shares. So one R would be 50 cents in our direction, right? So 49.50, I'm sorry, $40.50 would be one R. And so what the trade manager will then do is it'll say, okay, we hit target one. We're gonna move our break even from where it started. We're gonna move it up in our direction, right? And so now worst case scenario, worst that can happen is we lose, or we, we break even, right? Obviously, there's a little bit of slippage sometimes in there that sneaks its way in there. Uh, but let's say the, the stock continues at 40.50 and it hits 41. And in that case, if that's our target two, then it exits the trade profitably. Um, and so the, that's kind of what the trade manager does is once the trade is live, it monitors it and it interacts with the API at TD Ameritrade. And it, it'll look, okay, as you know, just because you place an order to buy something doesn't mean it's filled, right? Mm -hmm. it, once it's filled, so we have a status of active. So the status is once we fired off our API, then it's and it's accepted. We get an order number. Then it's an accepted status. 
once it goes live and it's it filled in full, so if we have a thousand shares and we're filled with a thousand shares, then it becomes a position. And then once the position is there, it's managed through the whole life of the trade. And then it exits either based on the stop being hit or a target of target two being hit, or we have a, all of our setups have a close date, which is basically mean no matter where we are in the profit, exit after X number of times. So obviously day trade, you have to exit before the end of the day. Swing trades, we may only let them stay open three months, five months. Every strategy is a little bit different. Two years, right? Every strategy is a little bit different. But the strategy to kind of builds the instructions that the trade manager kind of manages over the life of the system. Mm -hmm. So you try to kind of use different trade management uh, rules or was it always the break-even thing that you use or different things? So that's how we built it that. So a lot of this is based on how we trade, how we used to trade by hand, trade manu trading manually. But so we're working on a new generation of that, that the strategy can have even more flexibility of that. But that's, that's how it's built right now. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So there's a lot of ways to do this. And I think people can get kind of overwhelmed if they try to put all the ways together. So starting out with one and testing it, and sometimes it's going to work well, can just be a good start. So it's awesome. Right, right. And then the next piece after the trade manager is the broker API, right? So it's really important, at least for us, to find a broker that has a really solid API. Uh, we've tried API super limited. You can place an order and you can get a real-time price and that's it. But you need more than that, really. You need like buying power. You need to know at the end of the day, um, some of our maintenance will pull down what is the capital balance of a certain account. You need to know more than that uh, thing. We trade options too, which is a big thing. Does the broker support an option chain? So if I wanted to buy you know, the May option for Shopify at $200. What is that? What are my options for that? So when you get into options, it becomes even more complex than trying to automate, you know, automate that. Uh, when you're selling option premium, that's even more complicated. Um, so we want to know all that and we have to have a solid connection to our API. So one of the things that we did, again, there's no playbook on how this is done, but uh, we log all of our interactions with our broker API in a database. So what that means is when we make a call out to our broker inside our account, let's say the trade manager is checking to see where the current price of lift is if we have an open position, right? It needs to know whether to move the stop up, whether to exit, it needs to know all that. So we make a call out to lift and we collect what is the request, what, what is the data that we're passing to lift? I'm sorry, what is the data we're passing to TD Ameritrade about the lift ticker symbol? And then we, so we log the request to the broker, we log the response back. And the response, and it, it's really helped us troubleshoot tons of little things that we didn't even think about, um, including the two second warning, or the uh, twice a second warning that we get from TD Ameritrade's API. We would have never known that was the thing had we not logged the results. A thing just stopped working and you wonder why sometimes and now we know <laughs> two times a second is the limit so that's the kind of thing that we look for there's only a handful of brokers in the u.s at least that we found that meet the criteria and the, the kind of the the shopping list of what it needs to do to be able to handle the strategies that we run but things even things like placing an order well that's that's pretty simple but in our case Teeny Ameritrade movement, when you put an order out there, it doesn't tell you right away whether it's accepted, right? 
So what we have to do is we have to go back and check. We save the order number and we check what's the status of this order, what's the status of this order. Okay, now it's accepted. Okay, now we update our system that is now accepted, right? And so those are the kind of things that back and forth that you have to have with the API, uh, whatever broker API you're working with, uh, to kind of keep a tab on where your trades are, in what status they're in, what's next for the trade, is it exiting, is it expiring, um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So those are things people want to think about sometimes, and that's right. It's right. Like, like, just by trial and error too, like things that you have to modify with them. Right. It's three. Like I said, it's three x three times more complex than we realized. But it's all it's all good. We like challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that that's part of the game. Part of the the successes and challenges that you face. Right. Awesome. So one of the other things that we built was we built a chart of accounts. So we have algorithms literally running in our IRA accounts. Like my kids have a education savings account, ESA for college, college savings. And so we have strat different strategies running in the different accounts and they're all at TD Ameritrade. They're all different accounts. So strategies are tied to an account and an account can be, it's currently to all TD Ameritrade, but if we wanted to use interactive brokers or some other third party tool, uh, we'd be able to do that using you know, we do another integration that passes off orders, gets ordered statuses, all the different back and forth handshakes that go on. So we're able to introduce new brokers if we wanted to maybe spread capital around to different uh, brokerage, prime brokers. But the other thing that we can do is we can run one strategy in multiple accounts, right? So there's advantages and disadvantages for doing that, as you can probably anticipate. So if you have a trade, if you have the same trade, that goes into six different, five different, four different, three different accounts. Um, when it's all moving in your favor, that's a great day, right? <laughs> when it's all moving against you, that's not a great day. So we have learned to separate, not don't, we, you know, we might use the same strategy in multiple accounts, but we're not gonna use the same strategy in every account because of the, that kind of effect where you get a little bit extra exposure to something you weren't really necessarily wanting. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Cool. Some people might say, well, this is risky, like having an account for education that or college that you traded with. What are your thoughts on this? Kind of curious. I don't know. I, I love risk. I love taking risks, but not any and every risk. I love specific things. So here's what's interesting is a strategy, like one of our trend following strategies, my kid's education savings account is probably not the same size account dollar wise as a trading account right so inside their account i can say i want two positions at a time i'm gonna risk a hundred dollars two hundred dollars two hundred fifty dollars some lower amount but using the same strategy i can trade in a, a much larger account i can trade a much larger size in a traditional cash margin account right so same strategy running in two different accounts but each of the two different accounts have different risk limitations and different capital allocations. So at least for me, the way I think about it is if I'm risking, let's say $200 in my kid's account and it has a high probability of making at least 400, the two to one ratio there is pretty attractive. Now, yes, you can hit 10 losers in a row. I mean, that's, that could happen, uh, but that's the probability isn't quite there that that would happen. You know, it's certainly in bounds of what, you could accept. So there's those kinds of things you have to think about, um, but I don't think that it's risky at all. I mean, we've grown our kids' college account nicely by taking small risks here and there. So. Mm -hmm. 
it comes down to when you know your stats and you know your system and you've built it even yourself, it's easier to understand than if like you took a system out there that you didn't build yourself or something. Right. So for example, um, let's say that our trend following strategy, let's say that it, for whatever reason, let's say it likes Alibaba today, right? Baba, B-A-B-A is the stock. And let's say my trading account is going to buy 2,000 shares or whatever, however many shares. And my kid's account, I may only buy 50, right? And my, so the same strategy is risking and it's using different capital allocations and it's making the same decisions. It's the same entry and stock, but it's buying different amounts, different quantity of shares or different quantity of contracts that we're trading options. So. Uh, the, so the trend following one is called the Minervini. I don't know if you've ever heard of Mark Minervini. He's pretty popular on Twitter. So he named it the Minervini. It's, it actually works out really, really well. So there's a whole process that we go through in kind of exploring strategies and new kind of the strategy discovery process where we might join very well-known people's trade rooms. We might buy books, go to seminars, do all kinds of things and basically under, to try to understand the basics and then moving parts of strategy so that we can automate it. Now, sometimes you learn that there's a lot of gut intuition that is not necessarily easy to automate, right? If someone yeah. says, I have a good feeling right here, right? Now, things like moving average crossovers or a series of higher lows or lower highs, those are things that you can, Fibonacci retracements, those are things that you can absolutely mathematically figure out. But intuition and gut strategies, not so much. Is that something you would still use, like discretion or something? Would you still use it or no? Uh, so yes and no. It wouldn't be part of what we're trying to work on. It's kind of outside the scope of what we're working on. But one thing that we did do is we call it automate, automated discretionary trading. And so the idea is the system can make an order, let's say that you manually decide you type in a ticker symbol, right? You want to impress. So you're mainly determining the entry and exit for a certain trade in a, in a ticker symbol, right? So three inputs. Um, once the system, what you can mainly type that into our system, throw the trade live, and then it'll do, it'll manage it, right? So it'll have your target ones automatically calculated, your target two, it'll go over, it'll throw the order out there, it'll check to make sure it's been accepted, then check to make sure it's filled in full. Once you hit target one, it can move the stop up to break even move up to target two and then exit. So all those things can, so the entry piece would be manual, but the managing of the trade can still be automated, if that makes sense. Yeah, and this is where you can, yeah, kind of get the, both, the best of both worlds. Right, that's right. Awesome. Anything else we didn't talk about if you would like to touch on any you know, topics? I don't like to do this a lot, and yeah, a lot of notes on that topic of automatic strategies, but anything you would like to kind of mention or, or go through? About specific strategies or? Oh, so, so whatever you feel, like, are there steps that you think are essential to any strategy or things that people should think about and plan out first, or maybe some lessons you got that you want to share with people? Right. So one of the things that we do is when you're building uh, several, we'll call them multiple strategies, and you're entering and exiting at different time frames, it ends up becoming sort of like a merry-go-round of things are getting on and off at different times, right? You might hit some new, new highs in your PNL. Uh, one of the things that we spent time in, and it really took a couple of weeks to try to figure out is, is managing of positions. So you might have uh, multiple positions of the same ticker from different strategies in one account, right? So 
you almost have to, that's part of what we're working on with the trade manager is you have to kind of decide if that's the risk exposure that you want. Do you want to have a super concentrated position on one tick or something? Now that's great when things work out, not so great when things don't work out, mm. right? So things like Microsoft and PayPal, uh, we, our systems triggered buy orders last month. And I think both of those are reaching new all-time highs, especially Microsoft. It has earnings coming out soon. We have enough of a margin that's going to hold it for another until it reaches either the, the break-even or the target too. Uh, but one of the other things that comes up is maximum position. So let's say you have a strategy that kicks out 10 setups, right, at one, in one day, but you only want to have two at a time. So you got to figure out which of the 10 out of 10, which of the eight do you discard and two do you keep? Is it based on how much capital is being used? Is it based on, you know, what are the variables? They all met the buy signal. They're all in, in the, uh, the system. Uh, you have to decide which one's live. And so one of the things that we did is we looked for something called days to target. So if you're looking at a daily chart and we're looking at your entry, your exit, and then your target one and target two, um, we want to know how long ago was, how many days away previously going backwards was target two. And what we notice in our explain function, when a trade goes live, it, it writes it to a log file and we can watch these log files in real time to see what they're doing, what they're decision making. Cause a lot of this, we're, there's no charts, right? It's all data being crunched uh, and orders, little messages are sent out to the API. So one of the things we can do is watch the, the logs in real time. So we can watch the trade, trade manager logs. We can watch the Newsome, which is a, one of our day trading strategies. We can watch that making decisions in real time. Um, but the, the days to target, well, it'll say when we, when a new, uh, setup goes, is fired off, it'll say days to target 999, which means it's really a breakout, right? In that case of the meaning there was no, we haven't been here before. This is a new all time high as far as hitting the target too. So we use those kind of things to determine, um, like a sifting or a sorting priority of strategy, like a strategy that has multiple setups. So in my example, there's 10 setups, but you only want two at a time, two positions at a time, right? So that's the kind of thing that you, that's not obviously you have to think through uh, and plan for. You prefer in a high, like, do you prefer like an all-time high or a place where you would probably have been before and we come back to that place? So each strategy is a little bit different. Uh, we typically don't do breakouts. Um, so where you're, you're buying at all-time high. We are working on one right now um, that trades breakouts. Um, not, not, I shouldn't say breakouts. It's, it's more of a volume chaser um, that can be a breakout, um, like a day two volume chaser. So for example, if you have a stock that has 500% more volume traded today than average, 500, 5X, 500% more, uh, of looking at looking at the next day, meaning tomorrow, let's see how it trades. Is it still pushing new highs? Um, so we're working on some right now. We don't have anything live right now based on that. But every strategy is a little bit different. That's that's what's cool about having multiple strategies. Anything else? Uh, how do you manage? Yeah, scaling in and out. So, so is, is that something you look at? Scaling in and out of trades? Or maybe like adding to positions or things like that? Anything you do? Right. Right. So what's interesting is that each strategy has like a bucket of settings and the settings are maximum positions, capital, 
some strategies have internal settings that, that we can change and run change on the fly to run a back test against. But one of the interesting things is that pyramiding is what we call pyramiding where you're scaling in and out. So can I have more than one position of a single ticker open at one time? And it's very important if you want to be able to do that, that's important. If you don't want to be able to do that, it needs to like prevent that from happening, right? It's a multiple exposure to one stock or option if you want it to happen or don't want it to happen. So the way that our system works is you can scale in and out, but they're all separate setups. Does that make sense? So for example, on Lyft today, the system could wait for a certain buy point and have certain setups Maybe it buys, it goes high or has a, a buy order near the low of the day, right? So has a low of the day and then adds more uh, waiting for a specific, maybe a higher low or a lower high of some kind on a five-minute chart. And it adds a second position, a third, a fourth, a fifth. And so it can, that's how it scales in and out. It's based on specific targets, but they're kind of individual trades that are kind of combined just because of the, the ticker symbols the same, if that makes sense. And you can watch the PL in the broker or the UI PLs that we build. Uh, you can watch your, your you, know, you might be up 300 and the next thing you're up 2000, right? And then you're down 1800 and then you're back. So you can watch all that kind of flowing in real time, just like you would if it was a normal, your normal trading uh, system. So. And you have some rules or some conditions that you have to meet to be able to add or scale in or scale out of a trade? Or is that done on like all the trades all the time? Uh, so it's all determined at the strategy level, right? So uh, for example, the Newsom day trade strategy built after our mutual friend Jeremy Newsom, it risks $250 per trade and it does allow pyramiding. So if I have... Um, if, let's say I'm long in Lyft and PayPal at the same time. Uh, the system can fire off another order of Lyft, for, obviously for, for a long, for the same direction. And that, that is counted for two maximum positions. Even though I have kind of two in Lyft and one in PayPal, that's two positions, so to speak. And so things like, if you're adding things like um, OCO orders, I don't know if you're familiar with those in Forex, where... Um, one order cancels the other. So we have another strategy that we use that uses a dark pool alerting service. And it, it connects to their information and it, it decides whether or not to buy the underlying stock at certain levels or buy options, depending on the price. There's different ways that it, it makes those decisions. And so those kind of things are, are automated. But at the end of the day, it's all based on the strategy. And so ultimately, right now, at least, when the strategy fires off a setup or a, a buy or sell signal, it does figure out the quantity and uh, the stop, the entry, all those points. Um, but it also, once it goes live, the trade manager kind of takes over and handles it from there, right? With, when you hit your, your target one, the break evens moved up and you hit your target two, it exits. Uh, but those targets can be whatever you want them to be. It's all predefined. Um, it's kind of like a set in, forget it, right? It's all predefined at the strategy level. And all, all the strategies are different. Sometimes we may risk $2,500 of risk. Now, we may deploy fifty dollars or $100,000 on one trade, but we may risk $2,500, right? So if you're, if you're deploying $50,000 capital on one trade, you only want it to, to lose a maximum of $2,500. Now, it's different if you're using something like options where you may spend $2,500 on options, like our Roku trade from yesterday. 
uh, it triggered a buy signal in Roku, and this morning that trade was up 120 something percent, and it ended up nicely. It's up 117 now, <laughs> so it automatically scaled out because there are two two setups there. So it's really all determined at the strategy level. Think of it like the strategy determines what's packaged up before it goes out the door. When it goes out the door, it goes to the broker and the trade manager kind of manages it from then on out over the life of the trade. That's awesome. Some really good insights there. Some like a lot of things people can kind of think about and go through for themselves. Uh, if you don't mind, we'll put the, the notes you sent me in the show for people to watch out and read through. Uh, what can people find you to connect with you or reach out after this podcast? Sure. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, the handle is Mantalong90. I'm on Instagram. I post some uh, some PLs, some strategies, some some basic stuff. Uh, don't give away all the secret sauce for free. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn. I'm everywhere you want to be. <laughs> mm. But what are the most that you really like to kind of explain what you do and what you've been going through and all these steps you took, which is like really good documentation for people to, as part of the same thing you do, really helpful for them. So they really yes, admire that a lot from you. So that's awesome. Yeah. So Matt, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you here today. Uh, people should check it out. Check out yourself. Put it all below in the show notes and the description on YouTube. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, we'll catch you guys back here pretty soon. Here, thank you, team.